Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.53 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of July, 2021. This is episode 458 of Bitcoin and... Oh, let's start with Elon Musk. Well, let's not start with Elon Musk. Let's uh, let's address the elephant in the room. If you're listening to this, that means you woke up to uh, a shit ton of red candles to the downside. What does that mean? <clears throat> it means you're in Bitcoin, bro. <laughs> Might as well get used to it. You got to take the downs as long as well as the ups. You have to, because that's what this market is. So everybody will be screaming volatility. We're going to have a week, a whole fucking week, at least, of Peter Schiff, Paul Krugman, Francis Coppola. It's just get prepared. Just get, get your mind prepared. Get your mind right. This is the time in which we build, right? This is old. This has been happening since I've been in since 2015. The bears, you know, bear markets or consolidation or sideways actions or drops or whatever, anything that's not number go up is fair game for people like Paul Krugman. And so what do people do in the space? They put their heads down and they build, man. It happens every single time. This is where the cool, you know, software comes out. This is where, you know, Jack Mallers announces something, you know, brand new. This is where ugh, all kinds of neat stuff happens. It, 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 it does. All the neat stuff really does happen around times like this. If you're only in it for number go up, you're going to, the ride is even worse. If you're in it for the whole thing, like people building new companies coming online, you know, like watching countries adopt Bitcoin, you know, the price swings and all that kind of stuff. If you're in it for the whole thing, that provides you a little bit of shock absorption. It's like putting shock absorbers on your car, man. It kind of like evens out the bounces. But God forbid, if you're if you are only number go up, it's gonna be a really ugly ride. So you've just you just got to get your mind right, and it's I know it's hard it's hard to do, it's hard to have your mind right with all the bullshit that goes on. But it is you know it is what it is. So part of the bullshit is dealing with Elon Musk. So let's go ahead and and let's go ahead and get into it. Elon Musk. Jack Dorsey, Kathy Wood to discuss Bitcoin at the B word. This is Nick Hoffman writing for Bitcoin Magazine in a press release shared with Bitcoin Magazine. The B word event organizer confirmed that the conference will feature a live discussion about Bitcoin between Elon Musk of SpaceX and Tesla, Jack Dorsey of Square and Twitter, and Kathy Wood of ARK Invest. This discussion has now been officially confirmed following an initial Twitter thread exchange in which Dorsey asked Musk to have a conversation with him about BTC and Musk agreed. The event is scheduled to begin on Wednesday, July the 21st at 12 p.m. Eastern. This conversation in particular is poised to be very interesting as Musk has recently been the focus of much of the Bitcoin community and its outside observers. He garnered attention by changing his Twitter bio to Bitcoin in January. Tesla then invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin, of which now they're completely underwater. <laughs> Back in February, he suspended a policy of Tesla accepting Bitcoin payments over misunderstandings about Bitcoin's energy use in May, and he then capitulated on that stance in June. This appears to be an opportunity for Dorsey, an outspoken advocate of Bitcoin, to illuminate Musk on some of Bitcoin's nuances and guide his thinking and public statements in a more positive direction. 
Dorsey seems to be a good candidate for this challenge, as he's very knowledgeable on the topic and seems to have Musk's respect. According to the release, The B Word will also feature presentations from Adam Jonas of Chain Code Labs, Steve Lee of Square Crypto, Hester Pierce of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Hong Fang of OKCoin, John Pfeffer of Pfeffer Capital, Lynn Alden, oh nice, of Lynn Alden Investment Strategy, Nick Carter of Castle Island Ventures, Niha Narula of the MIT Digital Currency Initiative, Peter McCormick of the What Bitcoin Did podcast, and more. So that's coming up here tomorrow. Shit, that's tomorrow. Uh, wait, is that tomorrow? I think that's tomorrow. Yeah. Wednesday, July the 21st, 12 p.m. Eastern. So I have no idea how they're going to do this. Is this like, I, I don't know if they're at a hotel or a conference center or anything, like, or if it's just going to be one of those bullshit online things. If it's online, I'm just, I'm so, I'm up. I'm honestly not interested either way, to tell you the truth. I'm so tired of fucking Elon Musk right now. It's just, uh, he was the, he was just the worst. Oh, it was the worst. But here's, here's, here's my thing. Will Elon Musk actually show? That's the question that I have because he seems like somebody who will just go wake up tomorrow and go, man, I don't think I'm going to go. So we'll have to see if he keeps his word does the uh, talk with Jack. <clears throat> and if it does, if the talk actually does happen, I guess I'll listen to snippets of it. But honestly, I just can't be bothered to give a single fuck. Now, Turkey. Here's some news. Is it true? Well, like with all these, with all these stories, it's hard to corroborate. We're talking about a media that's nascent when we're talking about the Bitcoin media. But this is BTC Times, and they do, you know, generally have some pretty good, pretty good research. So let's see what they have to say about this. Thomas M says draft bill for legal Bitcoin framework in Turkey is ready for Parliament, as per the Deputy Finance Minister. Now, before we even get into this, let's be clear about Turkey. There's two things that are really important. One their economy and their fiat currency is in the shitter. All right. It just is. And it's been that way for like a while. Like at this point we're, we're talking about years. And of course, as with all the rest of this crap, it accelerated and is continuing to accelerate down the uh, toilet. The second thing, and I think arguably the most important thing here to remember is this. Turkey is a major partner in the European Union. So with that in mind, let's see what this draft bill looks like. Turkey's Deputy Minister of Treasury and Finance, Sakir Erkangul, is set to present a draft bill to Parliament providing a regulatory framework for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies later this year. Besides setting clear licensing requirements for local exchanges and introducing minimum capital requirements for cryptocurrency companies, the draft bill will also propose a withholding tax for individual earners, Turkish publication Sabah reports. The development uh, follows recent regulatory steps taken in the country that involved cryptocurrency payments, although widely reported as a blanket ban on payments for goods and services in cryptocurrencies, the move actually only involved payment companies Amir Askoy, a popular Turkish YouTuber and strategic advisor to Turkish government bodies on crypto adoption and regulation told the BTC Times, quote, there wasn't an actual ban on crypto payments in Turkey. The truth is that the central bank in Turkey issued regulations for electronic payments companies only, preventing them from settling payments in crypto. As citizens, we are still able to transact in crypto and the local exchanges are operating as usual. It was just a mild law to set boundaries between fintech and crypto companies for future regulations, end quote. With Turkey's deputy finance minister announcing the finished draft bill, Turkish cryptocurrency users can easily anticipate what's to come next, according to Askoy. In fact, Gul stressed that, quote, the ones that ban are generally countries with democracy problems. <laughs> Turkey doesn't have a democracy problem, I guess. Turkey, on the other hand, is looking to provide clear regulation for the country's cryptocurrency businesses and users that is somewhat similar to regulatory frameworks seen in Europe and America. 
The draft bill notably comes after a high-profile probe into Turkish exchange Thodex, which I hadn't heard of, whose users claimed in April the exchange had defrauded them of millions of dollars after shutting down for several days due to what it said was maintenance work. After multiple arrests, the exchange's CEO appeared to remain at large. He is believed to have transferred funds worth $108 million to unknown accounts, according to the Turkish Interior Ministry. Stricter licensing requirements and regulatory steps could be seen as an attempt to prevent similar scenarios in the future. On a higher level, the new bill, if passed in Parliament, will likely, quote, strengthen the crypto ecosystem in Turkey as it will clear the way for regulated paths to access Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Axoy said, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, a set framework could boost confidence in the Turkish ecosystem for businesses considering to operate within the country. The draft bill is set to be submitted to Parliament in October, so that's a few couple of months away. Okay, okay, I can see this. This this actually, you know, uh, doesn't is probably not going to annoy the their bosses at in in uh, Brussels at the European Union, but still, uh, you know, we're just going to have to see where this shit goes. And Turkey. Turkey is a country that needs Bitcoin. It, it really does. They're, like I said, their economy has been in the shitter. Their fiat currency just keeps losing value. People keep waking up to less and less buying power. They're going to need something because all this fiat bullshit is imploding. You know, it, start, it started imploding in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard because when he depegged the dollar, you got to remember this. When Nixon depegged the dollar, he depegged when he depegged the dollar from gold, he depegged like 71 countries fiat currencies, or he turned them into fiat currencies overnight. One president of one country without a without a single buy your leave or even a letter written to these to these people basically destroyed 71 or something like that country or to turn their currency into fiat currency with a stroke of a pen. And ever since then, ever since then, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And I still, to this day, I still do not understand how the United States wasn't taken into a war over that because that's honestly, that's like just economic terrorism. You screwed all these people. The Bretton Woods Agreement was to peg all these fiat or all these currencies to the dollar, and the dollar would be pegged to gold. That was the deal. And without so much as a buy your leave in 1971, all those countries got depegged from gold because they got depegged from, or because the dollar got depegged from gold, and they were all pegged to the dollar, and everything became free floating. Uh, you know. It's just a wonder that he got away with that shit. Anyway, Iris Energy is seeking $200 million ahead of NASDAQ listing. Uh, let's see, who is this? Namcios is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. According to Bloomberg, Bitcoin mining company Iris Energy is planning a $200 million fundraising round before seeking a direct listing on the NASDAQ. Let me pause. With all the blood in the streets, we still have North American mining companies that are going for it. All right, this is the, these are the things that you look for to temper number go down technology. Right? Like I said, it's like shock absorbers. You keep seeing, I reported on more yesterday, right? I'm, I'm serious, man. This, it's not going, the underlying, the underlying backbone of this entire space marches on in a number go up technology sort of fashion. What the price does is kind of decoupled from that. So this is what I'm talking about. These are the shock absorbers that you want to see, man. The Australian company has reportedly met with prospective investors and is working with an advisor on the round. The proceeds would reportedly help Iris prepare for the NASDAQ listing, which it plans to realize this year in May. The company's executive director and co-founder, Daniel Roberts, said that Iris was exploring options for special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, but has since shifted its intentions. Now the company is apparently favoring a private placement, which, according to the report, doesn't offer new shares and thus doesn't dilute the existing investor's stake as much as a SPAC deal would. However, not 
even the direct listing is certain as discussions are still ongoing. Iris currently operates a nine megawatt Bitcoin mining data center in British Columbia, Canada, which plans to expand it to 30 megawatts in 2021. In May, the company raised around $82 million to secure additional data center development sites and new computing hardware. And later that month, it secured a $50 million equipment financing deal to purchase additional Bitcoin mining servers and expand its operations into Canada. The Bitcoin miners business model consists, according to its website, of powering server infrastructure with renewable energy to provide network security support to an undisclosed Bitcoin mining pool. The company also plans to increase its reach in Canada and penetrate other markets, including the United States and the Asia-Pacific region soon. Many Bitcoin mining companies have recently enjoyed successful funding rounds in under a month. A mining farm turning waste coal into BTC raised $105 million to expand its operations. Blockware raised $25 million to build out facilities in Kentucky. And BIT raised $50 million to move its operations out of China. Additionally, Hive Blockchain received approval for listing on the NASDAQ Capital Market Exchange in late June. However, Iris's Iris Energy's sought-after listing is still uncertain as the company seeks the best way to open its capital to the public. So there you go. It doesn't stop. These people, they just, they don't stop. This is good news. <laughs> this is good news. Even if it is all that, that green energy bullshit, at least people are still, these people are like undeterred. And that's what I like to see. People who are undeterred. Now, we got, got this one from BTC Times. This is Obi Mosu, he's co-founder of CoinFloor. He writes this kind of like weekly or semi, you know, m- monthly uh, newsletter that they publish in the BTC Times. It's always good. He's a wonderful writer. Let's start this one right now. Money talks. It is the universal language of business, but when it comes to financial institutions, only a few all-powerful actors have a voice. And a system that only suits the establishment stifles innovation and prevents the creation of new models and applications that would benefit the poorest and most marginalized in society. This isn't how capitalism was supposed to be. The innovation and risk-taking we see in other areas of the economy are distinctly absent in financial services. Businesses and individuals have to operate within long-fixed models reminiscent of Henry Ford's dictum, quote, customers can only have any color they want, sorry, customers can have any color they want as long as it's black. Yeah, he actually did that for a long time. (laughs) The language of finance is all too often a break on innovation. Bitcoin was also going to burst this straight jacket, providing a completely different way to transact and think about value. Now we're seeing a new wave of financial applications which promise to do the same. On Thursday, Jack announced that Square is creating a new business focused on building an open developer platform aimed at making it easier to create non-custodial, permissionless, and decentralized financial services. This speaks to what every Bitcoiner understands. Bitcoin is not just an investment, but it also represents a radical new language for business commerce and anyone who wishes to transact wealth through time and space. Decentralization is, excuse the pun, absolutely central to this philosophy. It enables entrepreneurs and visionaries to build new models that will not replace existing financial structures, but improve them by giving people different ways to transact, a new financial language that returns power to the people. In doing so, they are creating a new system that is far less prone to corruption, cronyism, and capture by a few powerful participants. Jack doesn't need to do this. He's already a wealthy man thanks to serial entrepreneurship. He does it because he believes in Bitcoin and the ideals it embodies. Just as Twitter gave everybody anywhere a voice, uh, well, yeah, I know, you're screaming at me right now, it's okay, don't worry about it. So he wants to do with financial services, opening access to new types of payment rails rather than see the levers of economic power remain in the hands of a few plutocrats. Who knows how successful this and other experiments will be? Maybe they will be roaring successes, changing the face of finance for a century or more, or perhaps they'll all fail. The point is not about individual projects. It's about the ability to take the risk in the first place, to build something that's founded not only nor not on an increasingly stagnant financial system, but which cleaves to the core principles of Bitcoin, a fixed, unprincipled supply 
open access to everyone, and protections for all, whether you count your investment in cents or billions of dollars. Fiat money talks, but it's not interested in a dialogue. Bitcoin and the decentralized philosophy that underpins it is a different language altogether. It's based on debate and discussion where differences are hashed out in the public square and where, where change can only come after the community has achieved consensus. We're going to do this completely in the open, Jack pledged in his launch announcement. Open roadmap, open development, and open source. That's what we're building with Bitcoin, a better, fairer, and more open financial system, a universal language that forms the foundation for every great endeavor in the years to come. Good one, Obi. Yeah, I agree. This is good. And I like his, his, what he's talking about here is, is the new language is really what we're talking about. It's not that Jack is in square is doing this, this development platform. It's not Jack Mallers and, you know, working with lightning, uh, and the guys over at lightning labs actually building the thing out. It's, I mean, all that matters. Yeah, of course. But what is Bitcoin? Well, is it the is it the fixed supply? Is it the difficulty adjustment and the rest of the protocol and 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 consensus rules? I'd argue that. Well, I'd argue that no, but yet clearly yes, because without those, then Bitcoin doesn't allow what is the most important thing that Obi's talking about, it, and that is that it, it's a new language. It's a new language to be spoken, but it's a language that everybody can speak, no matter your lang- no matter your country. No matter your geographical location, it doesn't matter. I, I can transact with somebody who I could never understand in, in a million years, like like I don't know, like w- like a way deep Eastern European language that I have no hope of understanding. But I can transact with that person and buy their goods or services if if that's all I need to do. Like if I buy their service and I don't need to talk to them because I can't understand their language, I can still purchase that service and we can speak the language of value because Bitcoin's the only thing with, I mean, before then, you know, we had, you know, after 1971 and the de-pegging of all the, uh, of the dollar from, from gold and therefore floating all the currencies, uh, you basically had an explosion in foreign exchange because now you've got shit coin pairs the U.S. dollar versus the, you know, the French franc when they actually had a, their own money, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, but here we have a central language. We have a central vocabulary that we can speak to each other. Finally, finally, after, you know, m- millennia, we've finally found the one tool that breaks through all language barriers, all cultural barriers. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what your customs are. None of that matters. If you've got a good or service that you want to trade for value, you can do that with me anywhere in the world at any time in the world with Bitcoin. And I don't have to speak your language or understand your culture. Not that I wouldn't want to. I'm just saying I don't have to. Bitcoin cuts through all that shit. Bitcoin is the knife. And it cuts through all the bullshit that has caused wars and death and disease and destruction and decapitalization and I mean everything. Authoritarianism, it just cuts through it. I can't wait to see just how deep that son of a bitch actually does cut. We might find out with a majority of institutional investors ready to buy digital assets. Well, at least according to a study, and Ehrman Carmen has got it from Cointelegraph. New data shows that institutional investors' interest in cryptocurrencies and crypto-related businesses is continuing to grow. Fidelity Digital Assets, the crypto arm of the global asset management giant Fidelity Investments, tasked Coalition Greenwich to survey 1,100 institutional investors to understand their expectations regarding digital asset investments. The majority of surveyed investors expect to invest in digital assets in the future. The survey was conducted between December 2020 and April 2021 with the participation of high net worth investors, family offices, digital and traditional hedge funds, financial advisors, and endowments, Reuters reported. The definition of digital asset investment defined by the survey team include, or rather included investing in cryptocurrencies directly, buying crypto-related company stocks, or exposure through other investment products. 
Some 70% of participants expect to invest in digital assets within the next five years. Nine in 10 of those interested in investing foresee their companies or their clients' portfolios to add digital assets within the same time window. Fidelity Digital is working to keep up with the institutional interest in digital assets. Recently, the company was said to increase its staff by about 70% to handle the growing appetite from institutional investors. Grayscale is another player in the institutional investment game. Aside from cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or some other shitcoin, the digital asset management firm also plans to enter into the decentralized finance world. Yesterday, Grayscale announced a new investment vehicle targeted at DeFi assets. Wow, so I guess Barry wants to get rug pulled, uh, whatever. But the point being is that, again, even amidst number go down and number go consolidate and number go sideways, we still have news like this. These are the shock absorbers that you want to see here. Hey, let's run the numbers. Man, flammable liquids got taken to the frickin' tool shed last yesterday, man. They're recovering only slightly, and it's probably not going to be that great of a recovery by the time it's all said and done. I got West Texas Intermediate up 0.31%, but after yesterday's carnage, West Texas Intermediate's coming in at $66.63, dude. I mean, it was a bloodbath yesterday. Brent North Sea not faring any better at all. It's actually down 0.07% to $68.57. Uh, natural gas is down one quarter of a point, $3.76. And gasoline is down 0.17%, 20, or sorry, $20, $2.10 a gallon, it seems. Now, let's pause. What could have possibly happened? Well, yesterday when I was talking about this, it was because OPEC uh, came to a deal to basically get rid of all their uh, production limitations uh, so that OPEC wouldn't fall apart. So, okay, so the, the futures were going down. Why? Well, because supply was clearly going to come back. Uh-uh. Now, let's look at this uh, little, little piece from the Wall Street Journal. Oil prices slid Monday, recording their biggest one-day drop in 10 months as investors worried that the spread of the Delta variant of coronavirus will halt travel and dent demand for fuel. U.S. crude futures tumbled 7.5% to $66.42 a barrel, their worst day since early September. Prices are now more than 10% below last week's multi-year peak a drop that markets correction or that marks correction territory. They are still up sharply for the year. Traders in recent days have unwound some wagers that oil demand will continue to climb as more consumers get vaccinated and resume normal travel patterns. Hopes for a demand surge have buoyed oil throughout the year, but rapidly climbing coronavirus cases in some parts of the world are forcing investors to pare back their expectations for the economy. Some traders also remain wary of more travel shutdowns, which would have an outsized impact on oil prices. Quote, <clears throat> if we stagnate or retrace some of the demand increase we've seen thus far, the market will move from being undersupplied to oversupplied into the back half of the year, said Rebecca Babin, a senior energy trading at CIBC Private Wealth US. Now, because the Wall Street Journal uh, isn't smart enough to have an LNURL I can't read the rest of the story. I'm not going to subscribe to your bullshit brag, but I would have paid you a quarter, 25 cents worth of Bitcoin to read the rest of this freaking article. I don't get it. How these people have not figured out the, a paywall is beyond my comprehension. I, I mean, I literally do not get it. It would have been so easy to just throw up a QR code let me pull out one of my lightning wallets, pay for it, and then unlock it immediately. And they're just not going to do it. But let's get into what they were saying, right? <clears throat> so I got a picture up here. Uh, let's see if I can find it. I got a picture up here that shows me this particular article. And 
one day ago for a, an article from Fox Magazine or Fox Business. So one day ago, it was OPEC agrees to boost oil supplies, prices surge. Like five hours later, the Wall Street Journal publishes oil prices slide on fears Delta variant will crunch demand. Do you smell bullshit? Because I smell bullshit. It, I, I mean, the timing is, is ridiculous. It's almost transparent. Now, who's like, I guess it could be said that maybe OPEC was, was the one that was kind of fudging everything by saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. But I don't think that that's what happened. I think OPEC reached a deal and a whole bunch of people in the West, for whatever reason they wanted to do it, decided to start unleashing Delta variant and whether or not it's going to kill travel, which immediately sent oil prices plummeting. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, if you're, so if you're wondering if you're an energy bug, sort of like I am, then, you know, that's of interest. If not, however, uh, we have uh, shiny metal rocks. We got uh, gold up 0.38% to $1,816. Silver's down 0.12 to $25. Platinum is up 0.16. Copper is up almost a half point. Palladium is down a quarter of a point. Now, here's the here's one of the bigger ones. Now, oil's in the news, but dude, these agricultural futures are looking pretty pretty ugly for inflation numbers. Wheat is up two percent. Soybeans are up another two percent. Corn is up two and a half percent. Sugar is up two and a half percent. Coffee is up five freaking percent and cotton is up 1.6%. Every single one of those either goes into your food or your clothes. Every single one, except coffee. I mean, you just buy coffee and maybe a few coffee products. It doesn't go into everything, but wheat does, soybeans do, corn does, sugar does. Have fun paying more at the grocery store, bitches. Now, indices, let's see what the Dow's gonna do. It's gonna be up a half point. S&P futures is up a half point. NASDAQ futures up a half point, And the S&P mini is up half a point. God, it just seems so contrived, honestly. Uh, interest rate futures are all up, but scant. So we'll just go ahead and talk about real money, which has gotten kind of pummeled. Get ready. Brace yourself for the number. $29,726. We are now below $30,000. <laughs> 232,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just under 10,000 transactions on average per hour with 370,000 BTC trading hands in that period. We have uh, 15,420, yay, 420 uh, BTC being sent on average every hour in an average transaction value of 1.59 BTC Median transaction value is 0.024 BTC, which is uh, just over $700. Block times are still low, nine minutes and 36 seconds. We have 0.13 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 19 BTC being taken in fees in the last 24 hours. With an 8.27% increase in hash rate, we are now at 105.99 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator that Musk loves so much is <laughs> faring even worse. 16 and a half pennies. Remember when it topped out at 70 cents? Oh, that's gotta hurt, bitches. Because guess what? All the news articles are talking about how Bitcoin has crashed to under $30,000. And I'm talking about the shitcoin mags too, man. Like, you know, like Cointelegraph, Decrypt, all the people that, that speak about NFTs and how Ethereum is all great. No, but when shit turns south, it's Bitcoin's fault. When shit goes north, it's because of DeFi and Ethereum. You can't have it both ways. And guess what? If I'm looking at my charts and go trading view or, or crypto watch or something like that, my watch list is underwater is always underwater way more than Bitcoin is. So why isn't it the crypto market is underwater or is, is taking a bloodbath from all these shitcoin magazines? Why, why are they not saying that? How come when it's always a downturn, it's, it's Bitcoin? They won't say that, you know, that 
Ethereum is like 1% is getting hammered one by 1% more th- it, on its price than Bitcoin is. No, but it's not Ethereum. And they won't do the same for Doge. No, they'll speak their praises when number go up. But when number goes down and Bitcoin literally is the is last in the pack at the losses on the day from the major cryptocurrency pairs, you know, it's it's no, no, no it's like no, it's it's Bitcoin's fault, even though it's not getting hammered as much as the rest of the sh- field of shit coins. That's the, that kind of shit drives me crazy, man. So Clark Moody is showing uh, 1,277 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear. We are at $555.5 billion in market capitalization, which is now under 5% of gold's market cap, yet we can still buy 16.3 ounces of shiny metal rock with one Bitcoin of which there are 18,761,529 BTC in circulation. Um, 1,885 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $55.8 million being run over 1,200, or sorry, 1,200, no, 12,000. God dang, dude, get it together. 12,800 nodes that we can see boasting 56,838 payment channels that we know about. Uh, Tor capacity of the Lightning Network has increased to 69.1%, which I think is an all-time high. That means that there's 1,300 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 7,435 Tor nodes, or at least the nodes that we can see, and that will do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Uh, We're going to start this one with public association wants to attract Bitcoin miners to Russia. Nomsios has it for Bitcoin magazine. But before we start, let me just kind of remind you guys about Kazakhstan. When China started hammering the Bitcoin miners, Kazakhstan was open arms, tax-free, They were going to pay you like, you know, to move your mining uh, rigs over to Kazakhstan and start mining with their, you know, energy supply, which is pretty big. Bring jobs to the country. And and they did. And the miners came. And then the miners got told that they weren't going to get paid like any kind of, you know, they weren't going to get any subsidies anymore after about a year of operations or something like that. And then they said, okay, well, we're, we're doing good. We got, you know, prices were, were rising and everything was fine. And, and then a few weeks ago, Kazakhstan rug pulled their ass and said, oh, by the way, now that you're here and you're all set up, we're going to tax your ass at like two cents per kilowatt hour. Keep that in mind as we go through this one. A public association in Russia focused on representing the interests of the cryptocurrency industry in the country has announced a new project for attracting Bitcoin miners onto Russian soil. According to the project, headed by the Russian Association of Crypto Economics, Artificial Intelligence and Blockchain, or RASIB, the characteristics of the Russian Federation's energy production can be attractive for Bitcoin mining operations. It claimed that excess electricity might amount to over 50% of power plants' capacities depending on the region. And besides plugging into otherwise wasted power, Bitcoin miners could also enjoy free cooling from the country's cold climate, accessing higher energy efficiencies. Russia's large territory also makes it possible for extensive mining operations to be deployed, the statement said. Additionally, Recib shared in the announcement that the group closely cooperates with executive authorities of the country, as well as regional and state corporations. Ever since Chinese authorities started declaring a broader Bitcoin crackdown this year, miners have started fleeing the country. Some operations have flocked to Kazakhstan. And that country might soon become a hotbed for Bitcoin mining. For instance, leading Bitcoin mining rig manufacturer Canaan announced last month that it would start mining BTC itself and set up new operations in Kazakhstan. But Recib apparently wants a share of that pie and it's targeting those Bitcoin miners leaving China to find a new home in Russia instead of its neighboring country of Kazakhstan. Quote, 
Currently, the largest foreign partner of Rasib in this project is the consortium of the largest mining companies in China, the announcement read, which together control more than 25% of global hash rate of the main cryptocurrencies and, first of all, Bitcoin, end quote. By transferring part of those computing capacities to Russian territory, the project claimed it seeks to increase the country's share in the global market for digital, or rather, of digital economy infrastructure. The main goal, it said, is to decentralize the Bitcoin mining industry further. Although there is truth in tackling single points of failure, Russia's political structure might undermine the project's aim. A referendum approved in July 2020 further extended President Vladimir Putin's eligibility to remain in office and retain his grip on power. But besides the country's totalitarian demonstrations, Russia might be getting ready for a post-Putin era of adaptive authoritarianism. However, it is still unclear what Bitcoin miners could expect regarding operational stability and political assurances in Russia. Yeah, because they could attract your ass there, trap you like Kazakhstan, and then tax the living shit out of you. Or, uh, you know, pull a China and then just ban your ass and then either you're looking for someplace else to put your mining rigs or they just take a cue from China and instead of letting you go across the border with all your equipment, just steal it. Be careful. If you're a miner, and you're not, but if you're a Chinese miner and you're listening to me right now, you know, you better you better look real close at this deal. Really close. And furthermore, and this isn't for miners, this is for all of us, I kind of dream of a day where I just plug a single ASIC chip into a USB port on my computer and help mine Bitcoin because the more, I mean, we can talk about decentralizing, decentralizing Bitcoin mining across the globe. But anywhere that you've got a warehouse with a shit ton of miners in it that are heavy and cost a lot of money, that's centralization. I, I don't care how many of those plants are around around the globe. I'm glad that they are going to go around the globe, but I kind of see what I kind of see is huge aggregates kind of breaking up and will eventually become sand. And I kind of like the idea of becoming sand where some guy over in El Salvador is got a little ASIC chip and, and with clearly without a lot of hash power, right? But in aggregate, in aggregate, we're all mining Bitcoin from the very, like, just like, think of a grain of sand. Instead of these huge boulders that cause mammoth destruction when they get off kilter and start rolling down hills, sand is much easier to deal with. It's much more distributed. So will that happen in my lifetime? Probably not. However, I'll bet you my ass that as more and more of, of this kind of stuff goes on with Bitcoin mining being banned, it's going to end up just breaking up into smaller and smaller pieces to where any central authority anywhere in the world just can't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for that, but I, I doubt that I'm gonna see that in my lifetime. Oh, BlockFi is in trouble, dude. <clears throat> Brian Quarmby tells us about it from Cointelegraph. BlockFi ordered to stop onboarding New Jersey-based customers. Oh, BlockFi, bitches. The New Jersey Bureau of Securities has issued a cease and desist order to centralized crypto lending firm BlockFi, preventing it from onboarding new interest account clients in the state. The news was first broken by Forbes on July 19th with the outlet citing an undated, unpublished draft press release which revealed that the New Jersey Bureau of Securities was planning to issue a summary cease and desist order to BlockFi. The draft reportedly accuses BlockFi of offering unregistered securities to its customers. The document purported to quote Acting Attorney General Andrew J. Bruck is stating quote, our rules are simple. If you sell securities in New Jersey, you need to comply with New Jersey securities laws. No one gets a free pass simply because they're operating in a fast evolving cryptocurrency market, end quote. On July the 20th, Jack Prince, BlockFi CEO, confirmed the firm had received said order from the New Jersey Bureau of Securities ordering it to stop onboarding BlockFi interest bearing accounts 
clients residing in the state from July 22nd. Quote, BlockFi is engaged in an ongoing dialogue with regulators to help them understand our products, which we believe are lawful and appropriate for crypto market participants, Prince said, adding, quote, BIA is not a security and we therefore disagree with the action by the New Jersey Bureau of Securities. You know, that sounds exactly like Brad Garlinghouse. Yeah, I'm not a fan of BlockFi at this point I, for various reasons, but changing their interest rate payouts to, you know, to their, uh, to the people or to their clients is one thing. And there's some other stuff that, that they've done that I'm just, I would, if you're going to do this, man, check out Unchained Capital. They're good Texans. They're all, all, you know, most of them are down there in Austin, Texas. Uh, no, not a sponsor. I've never talked to a single person from Unchained Capital but I would not do business with BlockFi at this point. After the, some of the shit that they've pulled, over this, especially over this past year, no, I, I wouldn't do it. So continuing, the news comes roughly one month after Prince stated that the impending regulations on crypto would be favorable for the industry. The order comes as regulators around the world appear to be taking increasing action against unregulated sectors within the crypto industry. Cointelegraph reported earlier today that United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has urged lawmakers to quickly establish stablecoin regulations. Binance has also come under fire for allegedly operating without proper licensing with the UK Financial Conduct Authority accusing its subsidiary, Binance Markets Limited, or BML, of providing unlicensed services into the United Kingdom. In China, well, we know what the hell's going on in China, but what was that Janet Yellen shit going on? I don't know, Yellen the felon. What's, what, oh, Jeff Benson's got it from Decrypt.co. Janet Yellen says we must act quickly on stablecoin regulation. Okay, well, okay, Janet, let's find out. United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with the heads of multiple federal agencies on Monday to discuss how to regulate stable coins. Oh, okay. A type of digital currency whose value is pegged to another currency. Yellen, flanked by Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell and Securities and Exchange Commission uh, Commissioner Chair Gary Gensler, called together a closed meeting of the President's Working Group on Financial Markets. Other participants included the heads of the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and Treasury officials, among them acting comptroller of the currency, Michael Sue. <clears throat> According to a short readout of the meeting, Secretary Yellen, quote, underscored the need to act quickly to ensure there is an appropriate United States regulatory framework in place for stablecoins. The top three U.S. dollar peg stablecoins, Tether, USDC, and Binance USD, have a collective market capitalization of over $100 billion per data from CoinGecko, and their rising prominence has left U.S. regulators concerned. Powell last week testified before Congress that stablecoins should be regulated, pointing to the fact that Tether is mostly backed by debts known as commercial paper. Most of the time, they're very liquid. But during financial crises, he said, the market just disappears, and that's when people will want their money. As such, Powell thinks stablecoins, which currently lack a clear regulatory framework, should be regulated in similar ways to bank deposits and money market funds. Gensler and his CFTC counterpart, acting chair Rostin Benham, have had less to say about stablecoins for perhaps obvious reason, reasons. Securities refers to investment contracts that carry with them an implicit or explicit promise of future profit. Stablecoins, by contrast, aren't designed to increase in value. <clears throat> Commodities, the purview of the CFTC, are tradable goods such as gold and oil and pork bellies. Stablecoins don't fit that rubric either. Yet their use in the wider cryptocurrency market as a way to buy other digital assets without touching fiat or to park funds during crypto market volatility have ramifications for the larger financial sector, which is precisely what the PWG touched on today per the readout. Quote, participants discuss the rapid growth of stablecoins, potential uses of stablecoins as a means of payment, and potential risks to end users, the financial system, and national security, end quote. The group aims to issue its recommendations for stablecoins in the coming months. 
So boy, okay. Well, we'll have to see how that rolls out. Uh, God, is there anything to say about that? Honestly, I just, I don't care that much about stable coins. Although with the current market, it seems that I should have sold all of my Doge into Tether first, waited, and then bought the shit out of this dip. But honestly, I wasn't even in interested in doing that. And by the way, I knew it was going to happen. The minute, the minute I started selling all that stuff, I was like going, uh, and I was, and I was buying direct, I was buying Bitcoin directly. So I wasn't selling any Bitcoin. I was selling Doge into Bitcoin. I wasn't going through dollars or anything like that. Still, I knew I'm like going, watch it, watch it is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this. It's like, and I, I, and I thought about it. I was like going, should I just buy, sell all the, all the shit coin bags that I have for dollars and then wait and see? And I was like, no, because I just, I don't want to get into that kind of crap. And I probably should have, but I'm just not interested. All I want is more Bitcoin. Buy the dip, Moe's. Buy the dip. Uh, Osprey Funds CEO says U.S. will approve Bitcoin ETF in 2020 at earliest. <laughs> We've had a Bitcoin ETF on the horizon since 2016, pal. Mary Hewlett has got it for uh, Cointelegraph. The CEO of Osprey Funds which is the issuer of over-the-counter Bitcoin trust OBTC, isn't holding his breath for a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund approval in the United States this year. Speaking to Yahoo Finance's Jared Blackry and Shauna Smith on July 19th, Greg King said he believes that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, under the leadership of Gary Gensler, has so many things on its plate in 2021 that a BTC ETF approval is unlikely to make that cut. King recalled the hype in the crypto industry surrounding Gensler's appointment, who, while fairly non-committal in his statements about crypto regulation thus far, is nonetheless well known for his work teaching courses on blockchain at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in recent years. Quote, you saw a flurry of filings from established companies to sort of newcomers chasing the Bitcoin ETF idea, said King. The CEO has himself been in conversations with the SEC staff for several years as Osprey, the parent firm of Osprey Funds, had filed for its own Bitcoin ETF back in 2017. King argued, quote, if a Bitcoin ETF is coming through the Gensler administration, my view is it's not going to happen this year. There's also been quite a bit of sort of a body of language and rhetoric and points that have been made by the staff with previous applications that need to be addressed. And so this is not a slam dunk. Disappointed expectations of a slam dunk may, moreover, have played a role in the market's correction this summer, with King claiming that the market's partially calibrating to these frustrations. While for King, the high number of Bitcoin ETF applications in the United States earlier in the year fed into Bitcoin's extraordinary 2021 bull run, with their stalling later contributing to a downturn, he also added that recent hawkish regulatory remarks in the United States regarding private stablecoins has not been particularly helpful for Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, I mean shitcoin. This week, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has told members of the President's Working Group on Financial Markets, aka the Plunge Protection Team, it's actually written there, <laughs> that the government must act quickly to establish a regulatory framework for stablecoins. Earlier this year, Yellen also warned that the abuse of crypto has been an ever-growing problem. Over at the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell has echoed Yellen's call, saying that if stablecoins are going to be a significant part of the payments universe, then we need an appropriate regulatory framework, which, frankly, we don't have, end quote. Looking at this landscape, <clears throat> and given that crypto ETFs have already been approved in Canada, Europe, and other jurisdictions, uh, yeah, namely Brazil, King said that the United States is decidedly behind, but that that's obviously by choice. That was a quote. Another quote, I think they're thinking about this, if I had to guess, more holistically, beyond just whether a Bitcoin ETF makes sense or not at this point, but really more along the lines of what precedent are we going to set when we approve one, end quote. And that ends the story, by the way. So yeah, don't hold your breath for an ETF, uh, even after 2022. I, I mean, and, and honestly, I don't give a shit. Do you? Do you really care? 
if there's an ETF. We've been blowing, we've been blowing smoke through this pipe since 2016, guys. The Winklevi, as far as I know, were the first ones to start applying for an ETF. And it was just around the corner, boys. It was just around the corner. You just wait. Oh, you just wait. We're going to get our ETF. And everybody was so excited that we didn't even look to see for a long time whether or not an ETF was a good idea for Bitcoin. And honestly, I, I don't give a shit. I mean, it's neither a good or bad thing for Bitcoin. However, all of this fuss about we have to have a Bitcoin ETF is kind of bullshit. The only thing that's really telling here is the embarrassing notion that Canada has three or possibly four ETFs, Europe has one at least, and Brazil, even Brazil's ahead of the curve. I'm not saying ahead of the curve in so far as we need an ETF. I'm just saying that they're constructing financial products based off of Bitcoin and the United States is sitting here sucking swamp water, man. It's embarrassing if nothing else. Anyway, oh, 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 we need to ban U.S. athletes from using China's digital wand at the Beijing Winter Olympics. <laughs> That's coming out of Senator <clears throat> Cynthia Lummis. Ooh, this could be weird. This is coming out of Decrypt by Jeff Benson. With this month's Tokyo Summer Olympics clouded in uncertainty due to COVID, prominent U.S. lawmakers are already looking ahead to the next games, the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, and they're worried about, not about the spread of the virus, but about the spread of money. Bitcoin proponent and freshman U.S. Senator Cynthia Lummis, along with Senators Marsha Blackburn and Roger Wicker, sent an open letter to the chair of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee requesting that it forbid American athletes from receiving or using digital wand during the Beijing Olympics, which is scheduled for February of 2022. According to the trio, the digital wand may be used to surveil Chinese citizens and those visiting China on an unprecedented scale. The digital wand is China's central bank digital currency, and we all, we all know about that shit. Let's see, is there anything else? Because that's really the... I think that's pretty much the meat of it. Yeah, that's the meat of that particular one is that we got Cynthia Lummis and two other people who basically want to ban U.S. athletes from using the Chinese digital wand. What do I have to say about that? I don't, fuck, I don't know, man. It's such a trap. I mean, if, if I'm of the, of the mind that if a, an American athlete goes to Beijing and they want to use the digital wand, and they want to be surveilled and they want to be part of a, of, of a foreign state, you know, uh, asset or management team. I don't know more power to them. Uh, you know, I could see that being a ban on people like, oh, like people that work for the United States State Department. That I could see because surveil, you know, surveilling that kind of shit, those kind of people. I could see that. But I mean... Olympic athletes, ladies and gentlemen, are not military, nor are they state officials. They are civilians. They represent the countries that they come from, but they are not, in fact, part of like a State Department or the CIA. Of, of course, there's plants. I'm sure that I'm sure that they're there. But by and large, the majority of Olympic athletes have nothing to do with spying or diplomacy or any of that bullshit. Right, they're they they are technically ambassadors of the countries that they come from, but they're still citizenry. If an American athlete chooses to use the digital wand, I don't know, fuck it, more power to them, man. So I, I but I also technically I kind of don't disagree with what Cynthia Lummis is doing is doing, except that it's a ban. I, I hate the word ban. Late as of late, we've heard it way too much, but you get what I'm saying. You know, if an American athlete really wants to use it, let him use it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Number 458 is in the bag, bro. If you want to help the show, listen to it on Podcasting 2.0 Technology. Uh, Breeze Wallet has a podcasting app directly inside. You can stream me sats. I will stream you my dulcet tones. Also, the Sphinx Chat. Uh, is also, you can get to my podcast from inside the Sphinx Chat. Listen to me. And both of them go to my node. It's not just Breeze Wallet. I keep talking about that one. But the Sphinx Chat app also goes to my node. I get it from, from two places. If you find another podcasting 2.0 app, find my podcast. And it's neither <clears throat> Sphinx nor is it Breeze. 
guess what? Those sats that you stream me are going to go to my node. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a new model, and I think we need to push it more and more and more. Uh, I could, you, I would appreciate and could use the support, and I would like that support to come through Bitcoin directly into my node in the form of uh, Satoshi's over the Lightning Network. Um, I think I've got a bottle pay or so, not bottle pay. I think I've got a tip in me in my bio and Twitter. I got to check that. I haven't checked my bio in a while. Um, but your support, your support is greatly appreciated. And it really helps me tell you terrible jokes like this from dad says jokes. I can't take my dog to the pond anymore because the ducks keep attacking him. That's what I get for buying a purebred dog. Get it? Purebred dog. Hey, look, buddy, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.